getting a little bit of deja vu. It is time for Pet Chat, and we've got the same Ooh. team back, which is great to see. Cheryl Shaw, Dr. David Tabrit. Two weeks in a row, David. I know. The A-team's here. The A-team is here. You're getting the, you know, the long straw, clearly. (laughs) I've got to do my part. (laughs) That's exactly right. Look, what are we chatting about a little later on today, David? Well, if your dog is uh, not walking and uh, holding their leg up, does that mean they've fractured their leg? Well, maybe not. So we'll look into that. Okay. And Mm. Cheryl, what are we chatting about next? Well, with spring here, all those little baby birds that you could find Mm. that have fallen from a nest. Oh, Mm. okay. Good one. Now, Cheryl, this time of year, um, the weather can be quite good, but quite windy also. And that does cause some problems for our little birdies. It certainly does. Like the wind can um, disturb those nests that are sitting up in the trees. But not only that, not only just the wind, sometimes, you know, we might get a storm and the birds will become wet and they might actually topple over the edge of their nest. So the poor, you know, the, the bad weather conditions can cause those fledgings to fall out. But sometimes it's not just falling out of the nest. Sometimes you might get an over-adventurous bird that just topples out and other times their parents give them a push. Really? Yes. I mean, we all can relate to wanting to do that, but (laughs) they actually do that. They do, because they need to teach the bird how to survive by itself. And often we'll come along and we'll see a baby bird on the ground, particularly at this time when the magpies are really sort of quite plentiful in our um, suburban neighbourhoods. What happens if we go and um, interfere with that bird by picking it up and thinking, oh, we'll take it and take care of it? We are going to interfere with that bird's ability to be able to learn to fly because it can take about two weeks. So they are hopping around the ground, you know, moving from, you know, location to location. But their parents will be actually watching over them. So they'll be in the trees. So if you do see a bird, make sure that your pets, so your cats and your dogs, can't actually get to that bird. So, you know, maybe you have to put some, you know, fencing around just to make sure that they're able to um, do what they've got to do for those couple of weeks. So they will be stuck on the ground for those two weeks, Cheryl, before they learn to fly. Gee, that must be a dangerous time for them. And like we were just talking, David and I were having a chat about, you know, those little baby birds have been fed pretty well, so they do have a lot of extra fat on them. So it can take that little bit of time for them to adjust to their body to be able to actually use those wings to fly. There, There is something that you do need to do, though. Make sure that the bird actually isn't injured. But, you know, as I say, it's best to leave the bird alone because if it is injured, we do need to do something about that. You can either take the bird to your vet or you can ring wires and wires will you know, give you some advice on what to do. Is there a better option over the other in that case? Because I've, I've always gone to wires thinking that, you know, potentially that's best um, rather than the vets. But, yeah, is there one that we should be doing over the other? I think oftentimes for members of the public it's uh, that decision is really difficult. Mm. So my general advice is to observe for a period of time. And uh, if you see a bird and they're, um, you know, making efforts and they're able to fly a short distance and you think, oh, no, they, they should be flying properly. But as Cheryl's saying, this is their learn-to-drive, mm. learn-to-fly stage. Yes. Um, so they probably just need a little bit more practice, a little bit more time. If it's obvious that there's an injury, then certainly um, getting some attention for them. Uh, in this area, the um, wildlife uh, carers are under the Native Animal Trust Fund. So they're in the phone book as well. Um and depending on where our listeners are, there are different groups yeah, as yep. well, like wires are to the south of us and um, different groups up the valley. Okay. So, yeah, we we get a lot of um, 
Like I went, I went into work the other day and the staff said, now, before you do anything else, can you look at some wildlife? We've got 13 birds to look at. Oh, my goodness. So what do you do in that case? Dave? Well, it depends on the nature of – like some of them we do, you know, might find there's no injury. We'll do a flight test and then say – some of them we literally take them outside and let them go. Okay. So you and, don't need to take them back. I mean, that's unrealistic, I oh, guess, to depend- be able to take them back to the same spot. But- depends on the species. Okay. Yeah, and some of them it'll it'll be um, you know they might need some medical treatment. Some are um, able to go on to a carer, uh, depending on their needs. So and you will contact a carer and yeah, like absolutely, yeah. absolutely. We we work very closely with the wildlife carers to okay to get these because the idea is you want to get them back healthily, rehabilitated and back into the environment. So yeah, of course, the biggest problem is that um, as Cheryl was saying is that the the disruption to their normal um, learning to fly and if in some cases it's just put them back say in a low branch in a tree is might be all they need mm. okay so. yeah and sometimes too it can be you know um, people will often get a bucket and put them in a bucket just put holes in the bottom of that bucket and place it in the tree so that you know if you're feeling that your dog or your cat's going to you know be detrimental to that bird but the main thing is to remember that it's illegal to keep wildlife you know we mustn't be taking the wildlife and and thinking that you can feed them and rehabilitate them it's just not right because their dietary requirements are very special um, for each bird so yeah it is important but I have been laughing as I'm seeing cyclists riding along with those you know funny helmets on with the the, for the the protection cable ties yes yes so is so is it still swooping season because like I said there's these magpies here on campus and mama magpies always there and no problems you walk past and she might give you a bit of an eye but she you know no attempt to swoop you might find that around here because they're quite used to seeing a lot of people they're quite adapted at having lots of um, movement underneath and are quite happy the day that we brought Avalon in the not the magpies but those uh, miners were attacking my Avalon here Oh. Is it funny though? The minor birds, I've noticed, they'll swoop on. Like when I walk my dog, they'll swoop the dog. They won't swoop me. Yes, yes same deal. Mm. Because you're a bit bigger, maybe they're thinking, "Oh, we'll pick our we target." We won't, won't take him on. I don't know. <laughs> David, I wonder if they've got the same thing with the, um, the magpies. Have facial recognition? Maybe these ones know you. They go, oh, there they're goes Doctor Dave. Very intelligent. Yes, that's right. They might say, "We better not interfere." <laughs> yeah, with that's Doctor Dave. Yeah, <laughs> he can he might do things. <laughs> So, Cheryl, just hold up a minute there. Yep. Magpies have facial recognition? Yeah, so I have magpies living in my yard. I've got about an acre on, and um, the magpies that live with us have never in 30 years swooped us at all. But they do have, they do say they can recognise your face. So, yeah. Okay, interesting stuff. You have a wealth of knowledge, you two. It's so interesting. All right, so if we spot a little birdie, observe it, yes. see whether firstly it is injured or whether it's just learning to fly, which can take up to two, two weeks. weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then if you do think there's an issue contact-wise or your local vet. Yep, yeah, interesting point when you were saying about how the mothers kick them out. Those fledgling birds, before they get kicked out of the nest, are heavier than the adults. Oh, because they've been lazy, yeah. sitting around doing yeah. nothing. sitting around. Oh, and then yeah. mum goes, get out, you fat thing. Yeah, but what about Go the Go and do magpie? some exercise. Mum, can you magpie? come kick me out of my nest, please? <laughs> I need to lose some Get out there and do magpie. some exercise. You've got to feel sorry for them because sometimes they're rearing other birds as well. Sometimes those um, cuckoos lay their nests, God, their eggs that. in their nest. Your own's enough. And they're bigger too. than the magpies. Oh, oh. There you go. There you go. Sue in Macquarie Hills, you've got a question about a Labrador dog for Dr. David Tabret. Hello, Sue. Yes. Hi, Sue. How can we help? 
Yes, I've got a 12-year-old Labrador and, of course, um, he's starting to suffer from arthritis in his front leg. He's had an injury somewhere down the line when he was younger. Um, we've taken him to the vet and they've given him some um, codeine tablets, which he absolutely hates. He spits them out no matter which way we put the put them in anything. Um, and now we've gone on to some powder into his food to help the joint minimums. But I was just wondering, is there anything else that we could do to get him out of the pain? Um, it's a very common problem that you're talking about. We see quite a lot. And I think part of the, the message is that um, we've... We do have a lot of different treatments, and the part of the reason why we have a lot of treatments is because there's not one treatment that works the best. Yeah. So we always have to try and find what works best for your dog. And there's two kind of ways that this problem causes problem uh, that the issue of arthritis causes problem for the dog. One is that pain is an issue. So what's happening inside the joint is that there's a lot of pain receptors in your joint. And in the joint capsule, and so any inflammation that's going on in there uh, will cause uh, triggering of those pain receptors, and so that's what we're trying to block when we use pain medication. Now, whether it's coding or that's not commonly used for dogs, but we do sometimes see it. Um, most of the time, we will use products that are called non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. And because inflammation is usually the trigger of the pain, then they work very well. But even in that space, there's probably, you know, I can think of off the top of my head, at least probably seven or eight different medications. And again, it's really finding the one that works best for your dog. Right. The other side of the coin is that the joint can become restricted or not functioning well. Like if the ligaments are loose or the joint's a bit deformed, then it means that the lameness is also due to the deformity and the poor function of the joint. So it's not just actually pain, it's actually that now that leg doesn't bend quite as well and so we've got to put weight on other parts of the body and so, you know, that part is a little bit harder to deal with. So the lameness can be related to two kind of things and if it is a deformity or a confirmation problem, sometimes it requires surgery and sometimes... Uh, it might be something they just have to live with, but you really have to find out which is, which way it goes. And with the joint supplements, I think it's not an either-or thing. It's not like, do I give him joint supplement or do I give him pain medication? It's and. I give him the joint supplement and he needs pain medication and they need dietary therapy to make sure their weight stays down and they need physiotherapy and regular um, exercise. So... It's got to be a bit more comprehensive across all of those areas. And that's very difficult to do in, say, you know, a single visit to your vet because you generally would focus on one or two areas at a time and we see, you know, what kind of response we get to the medication and go, okay, that works. Now let's introduce some rehab physiotherapy stuff. Now let's introduce some joint supplements. Usually we focus... Yeah. yeah, usually we focus on pain relief first. For obvious well, reasons, yeah. you know. We did that. We did that in the beginning, and he did get a lot of benefit out of it. But now, the second time round, he absolutely hates the tablets, and he just won't take them. All right, there are other ones. Okay. And, and there, there's some that come in a liquid form. There's some that come in a beef chew. You can get them compounded. You can get them mixed up in, you know, um, tuna juice, or you oh, can get right. you can get them in any kind of form that you want that works best for your dog. 
from the vet or from the pet shop? No, you, these are a prescription medication. So yep, okay. you, need, you do need to talk to your vet about that. And the compounding ones have to be made up specially at, um, you know, there's a couple of compounding pharmacies that we use for scripts um, and they take maybe a week or two to get made up. So um, you will find a product that works, a, a drug that works best, but you also need to attack those other areas, like I said. Now, Rodney's on the line. You've got a question about your chihuahua for Dr. David Tabaret. Yeah, I'm just inquiring about that. What's what? Like, I've got that. I've had him now for about sixteen weeks. Yeah, and I'm not sure how how tall do they grow? Uh, so only a miniature teacup. How old is he now? That's seventeen weeks. Uh, just he's. You've had him since he was pretty much a baby. Yep. Yeah, we got him as at six weeks after his needles and everything. Yeah. Okay, so he's about four months of age now. So. Height of the dogs, generally, there's a couple of ways to approach this. Um, you can look up breed heights and you can find some guidelines. Uh, but right. they tend to apply, I guess, more if we're looking at um, purebreds that like very closely bred to the standard because not every dog that is bred in, say, if you went to a two-hour breeder, they'd say, oh, this one's too tall or the, too short. Um, so the guidelines really fit the group that are generally shown in the show ring. So right. you, you can look at that and maybe use it as a guide. On the other hand, we can think of it more from a biological perspective, as in how much more growth does he have. Um, yeah. So th there's a couple of areas where height is determined, um, and that's really the long bones in the legs, so in the front yeah. front and back legs. Now He's just had a spurt, he has. Yeah, well, he's going to have a few more yet. Um, right. So you probably how many spurts can they have? They're not big. big no, dogs. no, well, little, little growth <laughs> spurts. Yeah, tiny little spurts. <laughs> I thought the answer was they, knee high to a grasshopper. Basically, stay pups all their life. Well, perhaps, but they you know, they're certainly very small. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he's four months of age. Uh, his long bones in his legs they start to close. Uh, the growth plates close up, so they stop growing from about ten to fourteen months. Okay. Of age. So you're pretty much, you know, if you said, oh, at six months he's reached his adult size, no, he's still going to grow. Um, okay. So I'd really be saying he's got you know, a good couple of, probably a good six to twelve, uh, six to eight months of growth ahead. Mm -hmm. Cool. Cool. So. Because um, I have a, um, a Shih Tzu Cross Maltese or whatever. Yeah. Um, and um, he he's so bad, wants to play with a pup, pup but the, the, the Maltese is. He's hesitant because of his size. Because he's so little. He's so little, yeah. And, mm. Yeah, and the Maltese has taken it so gently on him, hey. But well. <laughs> That's nice. Uh -huh. yeah, yeah, well, yeah. At least you haven't got a great day. Yeah, um, <laughs> true. But uh, I'd make sure, you know, if they've got, if you've got all your uh, uh, parasite prevention up to date, if you've got your vaccinations up to date, then yep. I'd, I'd say they can obviously spend some time together. There are some risks, obviously. You know, it's like kids, if they're all playing out on the swings or whatever, someone's... Yeah, no, no, they're, they're fine together. It's just that, you know, the, the, the white one is a tad too big and it's yep. sort of like a big brother and little brother. He's sort of like treats him with kid gloves. Oh, good you know? on him. But chihuahuas yeah. have attitude. Like, they've got personality. They'll hold their own. The attitude of the chihuahua, yeah. it, it, it attacks the Maltese like nothing else. They do. Yeah. But the Maltese goes, well, you're still a bit too small. I can't attack your back, so I'll just play with you, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you, you will, you'll notice that changing, Rodney. That, that 
the uh, behavior between them and the dynamic is going to change, um, and particularly when you start talking about gender and desexing and things like that, that you'll yeah. see the behavior changing over the next couple of months. So probably not for a month or two, but certainly once you hit six, eight, ten months, all right, as well. Okay, Game on. As I said, he's four months old, and his um, and the second testicle hasn't hasn't dropped. That, that's well, unlikely yeah. now to drop. Oh no, it still can, but. Uh, right. You need to get that checked out with your vet because um, it's a really good little side topic is uh, the problem of retained testicles. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there are some breed and family well, the, the, the tendencies. The is the same. The only one ever dropped and his other one's in his flank. Yeah. They, the, problem, the problem is you've got a higher risk of cancer. That's right. Um, yes. So yes. it's always recommended they be removed, but the surgery is technically a little more difficult. Um, yeah. Not too difficult, but just well, said, compared to normal. Other ones in his flank, you can actually feel it, see it. You know? Yeah, I'm, yeah. and I would be recommending they both they have them removed because um, I had a dog years ago who had testicular cancer. Now it wasn't uh, a retained testicle, but what's happening is the exposure to the higher body temperature um, can induce or increase the risk for uh, cancer to occur. So I thoroughly recommend they have those removed and probably i mean the age you know you don't have to do it like straight away but i'd certainly be saying um at your regular sort of six to eight months they need to be done all right thanks for the call rodney four nine two one six two one six is our number now alan from singleton you've got a good bird story we obviously were talking about birds a little earlier on and cheryl was giving us some advice on what we do if we find these little birds on the ground yeah, mate, is that you, Charlie? Yes, it is. Yeah, you do a great <laughs> job. I love listening to oh, you. thank you, Alan. That's lovely to say it on. The check's in the mail, oh. okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, make it a big one, will <laughs> <laughs> Now, um, I've got a little galah. He's sitting on my shoulder now. Um, he was caught in a wire net and fence. Anyway, it was saved, bought to me. That's ten years ago. He's never been in the cage. He runs around the place here. Yep. Does whatever he wants to. He comes in the house of the night, got his own little perch and chair <laughs> with a, a, a placemat round the bottom. Yeah. And he will talk the kettle off boiling. <laughs> That's gorgeous. He is unreal. And his name's Smoochie. He loves a kiss. Smoochie. Oh. They're, they're fantastic. Like, He's adopted oh, mate, you. It's a beautiful Birds, bird. Aren't they? Yeah, the large parrots in Australia, birds and cockatoos, they really, because their social group is uh, pairs or small flocks, they form stronger bonds with people. Um, And we know that obviously um, a lot of people have them as pets. So, yeah, that's fascinating. So does he get to go outside, Alan? He he lives outside all day. Does he? And he still comes in. in. In the early days, he was about three-year-old then. He flew away, said, oh, well, mate, you'll go back to nature. Yeah. Three days, he come back home, and he hasn't left since, and he's 10-year-old this Christmas. Oh, that's he knows, beautiful. He knows when he's on a good wicket. Yeah. Eh? <laughs> exactly. Oh, I love him the best. He's beautiful. Oh, uh, he's, he's sitting on my shoulder <laughs> now. I've got a big shed here, workshop. Yeah. And he's sitting on my shoulder now. I could work a lathe, do what I want to, and the greatest sticky beak ever you'd get. <laughs> he sounds hilarious. Yeah. He head over and he looks what I'm making and <clears throat> unbelievable. It is amazing. He's on his shoulder right now. 
it's amazing the companionship you can get out of birds, isn't mm. it? They are oh, fascinating. Mate, yeah. I, I, I feed a lot of him? birds, maggies and butchies and so forth, you know. Yeah. I feed them. I don't let them re- rely on me, only bits and pieces. But, but this little boy of mine, Smooch is his name. <laughs> well, Alan... Comes in and, you know your wire screen door with the handles on it? Yeah. He can climb up the bottom and he's worked out as he sits right on the end of it. No. The door will open. He... Oh, and he how clever. down and comes out. They should he make a movie on yard, him. He's so smart. Around the, fern, around the trees. You've got no idea. I've got to get some photos of him. Yeah, please yep. do. We'd love you to send them in. You yep. can always do that via our website too, and URFM.com. We've got I, our places uh, there. Um, I'm too old to have that. <laughs> we'll pop them in the post. Yeah. We'll get them as yeah, well. Yeah, absolutely. We love it. Isn't that a great story? Great though? story. Thanks very much, Alan. That's a great story. And taking your calls, 49216216. We're talking pet chat. We're here until 1 o'clock. We do have a free line. And before 1 o'clock, we've got to look at our dog of the week. And, uh, David, we're, we're looking at um, injuries in our dogs, and I would have thought a fracture was mm. one of the worst things you could have happen to your leg as a, as a dog. But... Yeah, not good. But um, I think sometimes I've seen dogs come in and the dog's not walking on their leg. And people say, oh, I think he's fractured his leg or something. No, oftentimes we'll find out it's a ligament injury. Kirsty from Raymond Terrace, a question about a border collie for Dr. David Tabret. Hi, Dr. David. Um, I have a uh, seven-year-old border collie. Her name's Millie. I've had her, we're we're approximately her fourth owner. Um, Sadly, she's gone through, yeah, a few homes because she has a few issues. Mm. My question to you is, is um, coming up, she, she has anxiety. So coming up to summer, yeah. um, whenever, like, so I, I work all over the place. Sometimes I'm home, sometimes I'm not. We can be caught unexpected uh, with a storm mm. and she will just bolt at, you know, the, the uh, sound of lightning and the thunder. She, she will just take off and... She basically all she's looking for is for someone to, you know, she's looking for anyone. If we're not home, she's looking for someone to basically pick her up, take her in, and yeah, she's become quite famous in Raymond Terrace uh, because yeah, she's she's escaped. Oh, I can't. I've, we've lost count how many times recently. But my issue is, is we've got we've got high fences, but no matter what I do, I cannot keep her inside mm. my yard. Mm. So it's a, it's, it's a, a tricky, yeah. tricky one. She's a beautiful dog. She's, oh, my kids love her to death, but my fear is that one day, you know, we're going to get that call that, you know, she hasn't, she's been hit rather than, yep. you know, picked up because it's, yeah. just, it's just a matter of time. But, I, you know, I, I don't want to chain her up. I, I just, I'm not, I just don't know what to do. And oh, she got out last night, actually, which is the first time this, this well, you know, we're not even at summer yet. So, yeah, just hoping for a little bit of advice, perhaps, what you think. Mm. Yeah, I yeah, good on behaviour. It is a tough so. one, and good on you for sort of being a bit proactive about this. Um, there's a couple of things. The, the For these dogs, I think, need medication. Uh, yeah, that's okay. clear. Um, because, really, they're at risk of so much harm. And yeah. and just the anxiety in its in and of itself, even if you could guarantee that she couldn't leave the yard she's still very anxious 
And that means that in her head there are chemicals floating around, neuro neuropeptides, neurochemicals, that are causing distress. And so even if she... It's not a sedative because even dogs that are sedated can still feel anxiety. Um, so I definitely say that this is a problem that will require and I don't think you would actually make any headway without medication. So when we, when we look at behavioral change or things like that, the medication helps us to um, introduce some ideas around behavior change. Now, for this particular problem, I think it's less about behavior change and just more about relieving the anxiety itself. Um, because obviously you've got to do what you can with the fences and so on. There's a couple of other things. One is to probably make sure she's got an area where she can hide. Um, if a storm comes, a lot of dogs will be seeking, it's not just seeking shelter, it's seeking comfort and retreat where, you know, the noise and so on is a little bit less and they just feel like, okay, I'm protected under here. Um, and so that's one thing. The other thing you can do is, uh, I remember years ago, I saw, I can't remember the breeder dog, it was a big dog, that we actually sourced a jump harness. And you can get these and they go on the oh, dog and they actually mean, yeah, yeah, but they, they look like, um, you know, the, ho- the trot, trot horses, trotting horses, yeah. the paces. So it's kind of like that. So it has a loose strap that goes around each back leg as well. They're not restrained otherwise, but it just means they can't stretch all four legs apart at once. Okay. So that, like, if their front leg goes forward, their back leg goes forward. But to jump, they would have to reach up with the front legs and push back with the back legs. Well, the jump harness stops that happening. And the dog we had it, I used it on, was actually in Raymond Terrace, and it worked really, really well. Okay. So a jump harness is a good idea. Yep. Medication, absolutely. Um, Absolutely, you need it. And you need to speak to your veterinarian about that. And somewhere where um, your dog, Millie, can go and hide. Thanks for the call, Kirsty. We really appreciate it. Mm. And good luck. 49216216 is our number as we have a quick look at the weather for our sponsor, the Hunter Motor Group Maitland for new Honda, Subaru, Volkswagen and Isuzu Utes. Look, it's going to remain cloudy for the rest of the day. We probably won't see much rain, unfortunately. Right now it is around 25 degrees for the Hunter, 22 degrees for the coast. Uh, We're going to go to Greg from Aberdare. You need some advice from Dr David Tabrett today. Uh, yes, I do, please. G'day, Greg. How can we help? Yeah, hi, David. Uh, I've got a, a 14-month-old uh, male Bichon. Mm-hmm. Uh, whenever he drinks, he has to, like, cough to clear his throat. Um, he's done it ever since we've had him as a little pup, and uh, I was just wondering if that's something to be concerned about or not. It may be. It may be. Um, some dogs, I'm just trying to think. I don't. I don't think there's any really breed predisposition to see a problem with their larynx or swallowing but i would certainly want to have that checked out um anything that interferes with nerve function or is a physical obstruction in the back of the throat could Mm. cause that problem um now some dogs could just do this out of habit so but i would always defer to the idea that we want to make sure there's not a problem there rather than just assume that there's not a problem um, right. Now, with normal breathing, do you notice any noise? No, with, not at all. No, okay. Not at all. And no other coughing at other times? No, only when he drinks. What about with eating? Uh, no, not normally. Normally he will eat and then go and have a drink, and that's when he 
cops. That's a big cough. Okay. I, um, it just gives me a little bit more information. So I might want to make sure that the larynx is working okay. So there is a condition in, we normally see it in bigger dogs. Um, there is a condition called laryngeal paralysis. There's a number of different causes. He doesn't right. sound like a dog with laryngeal paralysis, but it's, it's a potential risk. Um, and I'd certainly want to make sure that him, you know, everything's working. Now, the problem with examining that is it can be a little bit difficult, and oftentimes a dog would need a very short anaesthetic to be able to diagnose if there's a problem there. Okay. Because uh, what has to happen is we have to actually look at the larynx while he's breathing in and out, and the larynx is so far down in his throat, we can't do that unless they have a light anaesthetic. Okay. Uh, it doesn't take very long, but you can't just say open wide. Um, <laughs> and if we put our fingers in there to look, they usually gag and retch and then try to bite our fingers off. So, um, sure. And if we give them a deep anaesthetic, then what happens is it blocks all the nerves and so the larynx is paralysed anyway. So it's just at that very point where we can open the mouth and look, but not enough that it blocks the nerves. So the reason I'm saying that is that, it look, some of, sometimes these problems can be there and a laryngeal paralysis or a problem with swallowing can actually lead to pretty harmful effects because if you get any fluid or food or anything into the lungs, uh, you know, that can cause pretty severe pneumonia. So I'd want to make sure that that's not happening. 49216216. I think this is our final call that we have time for today. We've got Brian from Spears Point. Now, your dog has a lump that you're concerned about, Brian. Uh, yes, it's on her left foot. We're equivalent to where our thumb would be. Okay. She's always she's always licking it. I just wonder if, if that's how how long uh, how long have you noticed it for, Brian? Well, I've, I've noticed it about two weeks now. Okay, and how big would you say it is? Equivalent uh, to about a twenty cent piece now. And sorry, what breed of dog? She's a Ridgeback Staffy Cross. So short hair. Okay. Short hair. This this one you need. And um, did you say how old she was? Yeah, thirteen. Thirteen. You need to get this checked out. Um, the reason I say that is that certainly it's abnormal. Um, and a lot of these large, short-haired dogs, particularly, they don't have to be older, but, um, you know, certainly adult, we worry about a type of skin tumour called Marcel tumours. And they kind of look ex pretty much like you describe. There is another type of benign tumour called a histiocytoma, the only way to tell them apart is by taking a sample of cells out of them. Um, just looking at them doesn't tell us anything. Um, and one is, you know, will probably go away on its own, and the other one is pretty dangerous. Yeah. And it needs to be examined with a sample collected, and usually the vet would put a needle into it and take a sample of cells and look at it under the microscope. And in some cases, then we have to take a biopsy, but usually because of where it is and the size, when you do the biopsy, you just say, you know what, we'll take the whole thing off. Um, okay. But if it's a mast cell tumour, they can be pretty bad. And, uh, you know, they can spread elsewhere. They can... I have seen um, some dogs that have died from the effects of it. So um, it's more complicated than that, obviously, but um, it's that's something I want to get checked out very quickly. So yeah, this, when I first found it, I took it to the vet and he said, for age, he wasn't worried, but it seems to have got a little bit bigger. Yeah. Go back and, and probably they'll need to just talk to him about whether it needs a biopsy because that's that's the sort of thing I'd want to make sure it's not a mast cell tumour. Um, and as I said, you can't tell from the outside. you really got to get those cells looked at. 
And if it's one of the other things, then it probably is less of a problem. But I'd certainly, you know, if he's looking at it all the time, you've got to treat it as well. It's um, bothering him, obviously. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, good luck with that, Brian. He's obviously done the right thing. He's taken him to the vets and he might have to go back and get it checked again. Look, I think that's just about all we've got time for. We didn't get to touch on uh, the ligament topic, David, so you'll have to next store time. that for us next time. We cool. did answer a call a, a similar about that. but um, <laughs> And obviously our Dog of the Week charm we haven't had a chance to really look at. But please head to our uh, website, 2NURFM.com, click on More and Dog of the Week. He is a three-year-old Great Dane, or she, sorry, sorry, charm, cross girl. She's beautiful. Uh, you'll see some photos. I tell you what, she has the biggest puppy dog face I've seen in a long time. Look at that oh my god she's gorgeous and we've got a beautiful video there for you to go check out as well but look cheryl shaw dr david tabret that is all we've got time for today thank you both for coming in thanks charlie it's a pleasure as always thank you oh there's the rain it is the rain thanks for listening to this podcast from 2nurfm at the university of newcastle topics range from gardening to health well-being pet care finance business and travel You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.